So why did God choose Mary? Uh, in one sense, this is too complicated a question for us to answer. There are probably millions of factors, things that we could know nothing about that led to God choosing Mary. However, based on today's passage and the Gospels in general, there is one particularly striking quality that Mary has, namely humility, the kind of humility that leads to obedience. Uh, Mary was humble in every sense of the word. Her situation, her position in life, her circumstances were humble. Uh, Mary occupied a very lowly position. That's the external stuff. But also internally, uh, Mary possessed a high degree of humility. So today we're going to look at Mary's situation. We're going to look at the event that she experienced, this angelic visit. And we're going to look at the implications of the angel's message, both for Mary and for the world. And finally, we'll consider Mary's response and how it reveals her character. So firstly, Mary's situation. We know uh, that her background was ordinary, to say the least. Uh, Of course, your station in life doesn't need to be humble for you to be used by God. God can use paupers and servants and slaves. Uh, God can use kings and world leaders and people of great influence. And in the Bible and in the world today, we see God using all kinds of people for his good purposes. Um, Mary's situation wasn't something that she had a lot of control over. Uh, She was born into it. And so it says more about God than it says about her, a God of humility, who favors and honors the poor and the downtrodden, a God who raises up the lowly and uses the least significant in the most amazing ways. But there's no doubt that Mary was poor. She was almost certainly illiterate. And Luke tells her that she was pledged, Luke tells us that uh, she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. A young Jewish girl would get engaged at the age of 12 or 14. The wedding would take place uh, a year later. And engagement was a much more serious thing than it is in our culture. Uh, You actually needed a divorce to annul an engagement, uh, which is why uh, later on when Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant, uh, to start with, he decides he's going to divorce her quietly. They're only engaged but it required a divorce to annul that. Uh, Joseph uh, was a working-class man. Uh, We always think of him as a carpenter because that's how the Greek word tectone is usually translated, but it can also mean stonemason or builder. Um, So it could be that Jesus worked with stone and wood, uh, but certainly if we describe him as a builder, we'd be on solid ground. Mary and Joseph were from a small town called Nazareth in Galilee. It's estimated that it had a population of less than 500 people, and it was a fairly obscure place. There was nothing particularly remarkable about it. In fact, in John's Gospel, when Nathaniel is told about Jesus, and he's told that Jesus comes from Nazareth, he says, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? So people had a generally low opinion of the place. So when we look at Mary's general situation, we can see that by our standards, her life was extremely basic and limited. If anyone uh, could uh, travel back in time 
and take a photo of Mary and bring it back to show us. I feel sure that she'd be, uh, she'd be very ordinary. Yeah, we've got a photo. Uh, nothing like the Mary of Renaissance art. You've all seen the, the photos, a, a white, elegant-looking woman in her 20s uh, with a halo and a, a blue flowing robe. No, Mary was a poor, vulnerable teenage girl from the Middle East. Her situation was humble. Uh, so now we come to the event and the message Mary was visited by the angel Gabriel. There are only two angels mentioned by name in the Bible. One is Michael, the other Gabriel. If one of them shows up, you know that it's really serious. And Gabriel says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. In other words, Mary was startled and scared and she didn't have a clue what was going on. And Gabriel continues with his amazing message. And if we were to summarize it, it's basically this. You're going to give birth to the Messiah, who also happens to be the Son of God. So let's break that message down a bit. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus is actually a name that we find in the Old Testament, because Jesus and Joshua is the same name uh, in Hebrew, Yeshua. Uh, and it, it, it means Yahweh saves, or for us, the Lord saves. Uh, Gabriel continues, He'll be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is the fulfillment of God's promise to King David that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 7. Here's what the Lord said to David. Uh, And we got both up. You can see the similarities. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Uh, This promise was taken up by the prophets, and it became the foundation of Israel's hope for a coming Messiah. So Gabriel is saying very clearly, you're going to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. That's quite a lot for a teenage girl to take in. The implications of this are massive. Uh, Mary's son will be the saviour of Israel. At the time, uh, Israel was under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And if you mentioned the word Messiah to any Jew at that time, they would immediately think of someone who was going to liberate them from Roman oppression. That's no small thing. But from our vantage point, we can see that Jesus came to do something far more significant than that. Jesus came to liberate humanity from the curse of sin and death. Uh, But not surprisingly, Mary's concerns are more immediate and personal. Verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel brought Mary the most wonderful news that has ever been heard in the history of the world. But it's news that would have been deeply concerning for Mary for personal reasons. Mary is engaged to be married, and she seemed to understand that she'll be pregnant 
before she gets married. Uh, to Mary's mind, this situation will almost certainly bring scandal, embarrassment, shame, broken relationship, not just with Joseph, but probably with her whole family, uh, and undoubtedly with the wider community. It's also going to mean financial ruin, because in that culture, an unmarried woman uh, would have had very few means of uh, supporting herself, and in this case, her child. Not to mention the fact it's a highly dangerous situation, because at that time, the penalty for adultery was death by stoning. Uh, although it's worth pointing out that there are no accounts in the Bible of anyone actually being stoned to death uh, for adultery, but the penalty is there. And so there's a lot about this situation that would have been extremely worrying to a teenage girl then or now. In Mark's Gospel, there's a hint that a certain amount of shame did follow Mary throughout her life. When Jesus returned to Nazareth and began uh, teaching in the synagogue, uh, the people asked, where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. It's quite telling that they said, isn't this Mary's son? Because normally in that culture, they would have said, isn't this Joseph's son? It was a patriarchal society, so a son would be known in relation to his father. It's almost as if Mary is mentioned because there's some doubt about her character, something disreputable about the family. And in John's Gospel, the Pharisees asked Jesus, where is your father? In other words... You don't know who your father is. What kind of mother did you have? So there's this sense of shame that actually followed Mary and, and the family throughout their lives. But think about it. It's a small town of maybe 400 people. Everybody knows everybody else. Mary gets pregnant out of wedlock. Uh, they may have been able to hide that, but uh, not too long after, Mary and Joseph uh, went off to Bethlehem or who knows where. No one saw them for at least two years, and then they returned with a son. Now, nothing of any significance ever happened in a town like Nazareth. That would be more than enough to get tongues wagging. Of course, I'm reading between the lines a bit. But I think it's fair to say that while Mary was trying to grasp the magnitude of the angel's great announcement, she would also have been very aware of the personal ramifications, and as well as trying to understand how this thing is even going to work. Mary's head must have been spinning. And so how will this be, since I'm a virgin, is a very reasonable question. And there's a number of things about Gabriel's reply. Firstly, he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the word overshadow is the same word that's used in the book of Exodus when it talks about God's presence overshadowing the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place where God drew near to his people and it was a forerunner to the temple. But now God would come even closer not through his spiritual presence in a tabernacle or a temple, but in the first instance, through his bodily presence in Mary's womb. Human beings love their big, impressive, 
temples and churches and monuments. But God divested himself of his power and dwelled for nine months in the womb of a peasant girl from Nazareth. Of course, as Christians, we understand God as Trinity. And so God didn't stop being God at that time. God was still in control. Uh, But also, in a very real sense, God was a human fetus. Sometimes it's amazing enough to think of God as as a little baby lying in a manger, but God was a human fetus. God is supremely humble. How can we imagine an all-powerful God putting himself in that position? God is supremely humble. And so it shouldn't surprise us that he looked for humility in the person that would bear his son, Jesus. In the Old Testament, King David is uh, referred to as a man after God's own heart, in spite of his flaws and his failings. In fact, it's, it's God that uses those words of him. And I think we could reasonably say that Mary is a woman after God's own heart. And it's right that we should honor Mary. Often as Protestants, we're so keen to distance ourselves from the Catholic position that we're almost embarrassed to say anything about Mary. But she is a wonderful example of humility, obedience, and godliness. And the best way that we can honor Mary is by worshiping her son, whom she carried for nine months, delivered, cared for, raised, and ultimately worshipped. So Gabriel explains that Mary's pregnancy would be the work of the Holy Spirit. And then he says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Gabriel tells Mary about this miracle as as, uh, further proof of affirmation. That the, the fact that God is doing something new, God's spirit is working in the most powerful way. And so what is Mary's response to all this? What is Mary's response? Well, in the first instance, Mary responded with one sentence which speaks volumes. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary humbly submitted her life to the will of God. She couldn't in that moment have understood what all this meant. And maybe that made it the more daunting. Uh, But it seems that she was prepared to trust God and live in faithful obedience, no matter what that entailed. We have to understand that living in obedience to God is not necessarily going to mean an easy ride. And sometimes it can mean the opposite. When Jesus was 40 days old, Mary and Joseph presented him in the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is about seven kilometers away from Bethlehem, so it's walking distance. And chronologically, this had to happen before the uh, Magi visited Jesus, the wise men from the east. Uh, Jesus would have been probably a toddler toddler um, by the time they, they came. And when they're at the temple, they encountered an old man called Simeon, who had been earnestly and eagerly awaiting the arrival of Israel's Messiah. And he was filled uh, by the Holy Spirit. And he took Jesus in his arms and he prophesied. And the last thing he said to Mary uh, in particular was this. He said, and a sword will pierce your soul too. And the sword will pierce your soul too. 
In Mary's case, obedience to God led to incredible joy, but it also led to a lot of difficulty and pain and heartache. King Herod, who was a homicidal maniac, historically we know a lot about King Herod, Herod the Great. Uh, He was a complete despot. He wanted Jesus dead. Imagine being in that position as a parent. A man like that, a man of power, wants your child dead. The family had to flee the country. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus uh, effectively became refugees. They had to make a long and dangerous journey to Egypt. And once there, they had to establish themselves and and set up some kind of life, uh, presumably with no support. Then when Herod died, they had to make the long and dangerous journey back to Judea. But most of all, a sword pierced Mary's soul because she had to watch her son being crucified. I don't think you could imagine anything worse as as a mother or a father. Mary was the only person present at Jesus' birth and present at Jesus' death. Uh, Mary's response to the angel's message was one of humble obedience, and she remained obedient in spite of the challenges. She remained obedient in spite of the challenges. What's more, she remained humble. (laughs) Being the mother of Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the mother of God, could kind of go to your head, couldn't it? Uh, We've all encountered parents who go on about their children perhaps a little bit too much. Imagine being the parent of a perfect child. Imagine being the sibling of a perfect child, but that's a nightmare. But Mary remained humble to the end. And if we're looking at Mary's response, uh, we should note that the first thing she did after the angel's visit was to go and see her, her, her relative, Elizabeth. Uh, you remember that the angel told Mary that Elizabeth was pregnant in her own old age. Uh, well, of course... Mary went to see Elizabeth. She was the only person in the world who could have come close to understanding Mary's situation. Elizabeth had conceived in her old age. It was a miracle, and it had been announced by the same angel who had visited Mary. I mean, who's going to believe a teenage girl who says that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah? The woman who's been told she's going to be the mother of the forerunner of the Messiah. That's who believe her. Isn't it wonderful the way that God provided Mary and Elizabeth with that support? And it's that meeting between Mary and Elizabeth that we're going to be looking at next week. But before we finish, let's just take stock of what we can learn from all this. God chose Mary because of her humble obedience. So what do you think the requirement for God to be able to use us is? Do we need a keen intellect and academic qualifications? Do we need to come from a good family? When people say that, they normally mean wealthy. Do we need to be articulate and have a certain skill set? No. No. Above all, we need to be humble and obedient. If we want to be used by God, we've got to change our mindset. We've got to stop thinking that we're the center of the universe. I mean, sometimes we say, I'm not the sort of person that God could use. I don't have the right gifts. 
I don't have any influence with anyone. And all of that sounds humble, but in fact it's not because it's putting ourselves at the center of things. Mary could have said any of that, but she didn't. She simply said, I am the Lord's servant. Verse 37, the angel said, for no word from God will ever fail. The NRSV translation, it's a very good translation, by the way, it puts it like this, for nothing will be impossible with God. You can be used by God. You can be used by God. It's not about your background or your skills or your qualifications or your family or your knowledge or any of that. When it comes to being used by God, none of that matters. What matters is that you're willing to humbly obey God without thinking about the effect that it's going to have on your life and your circumstances. I am the Lord's servant. If we can say that and mean it, God will use us to fulfill his good purposes, sometimes in the most surprising ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you bring down the proud and you lift up the humble. We thank you that, uh, that you are willing to use anyone for your good purposes, providing that they have a humble heart and they're willing to obey you. And we pray that that will be us. We pray, Father, that we will uh, have great humility and a, a deep desire to do your will to see you working in us and through us. Uh, help us, Lord, to be a positive force for good in the world because of your spirit working amongst us. Father, we thank you for Mary's example, and we pray that we will follow it by saying, I am the Lord's servant. Father, help us to have that attitude today and as we go through our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.